turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. Just a little bit before Job and Psalms, Proverbs. This morning we're going to install two newly elected elders to our council at the end of the service. So in light of that fact, I looked for some passage of scripture that um, spoke of uh, leadership, which God tells us something about how he uh, works among us and through leaders. I decided to revisit this passage in Nehemiah, a book in which we find um, some of the best teaching on leadership in the whole Bible. So admittedly, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story. Maybe you know the story of Nehemiah, maybe you don't, but we'll try to at least uh, explain enough that it makes some sense. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 11, down to the end of the chapter. Let me read it. Nehemiah is speaking. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as, as yet I had not said, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They ask. Are you rebelling against the king? I answer them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And there will end our reading. Perhaps you've heard the expression somewhere along the way, either lead follow or get out of the way. That's kind of a summary of what we find in our text here. Leading, following, and people being in the way. Which means we have three points to consider. The first one's this. Leadership begins alone with God. Leadership begins alone with God. The subject of this text is leadership. But before you excuse yourself, thinking, well, I'm not a leader, notice that this text never specifically mentions elders. We have here truths that apply to everyone at all different kinds of levels, 
Anyone who leads, husbands, fathers, mothers, teachers, bosses, anyone else who wants to make a difference in someone else's life. And when we boil it all down, the point that the text makes is that leadership begins alone with God. Nehemiah is actually one of the best examples of leadership in the whole Bible. And this principle has been true of him from the beginning. So let me just catch up on the story a little bit. Back in chapter 1, Nehemiah was uh, serving the king of Persia, a long ways away from the city of Jerusalem. He got the word there a thousand miles, that a thousand miles away, back in his homeland, Jerusalem lay in ruins. Its walls were broken down. Enemies came in and out of the city at will. It was defenseless. But when Nehemiah first heard of this problem, about the walls of the city being broken down, he, he didn't fly off in a torrent of activity. He didn't quit his job and catch the next flight to Jerusalem. He didn't start a letter-writing campaign against the king that he would do something. He spent time alone with God. First, he prayed. We read it in Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. As Nehemiah prayed, he reflected on who God is and why God's people were in such a terrible situation and what God had to say about it. And as the situation came into clear focus in his mind, he began to repent. And he claimed God's promises and he offered himself. And as he prayed, he began to dare to believe that God might do something about this. As he had declared it his will to do something. Nehemiah began to think about the details and the possibilities and what it would take. In faith, he began to develop a vision for the completion of God's work in Jerusalem. He didn't say anything to anyone. He prayed and thought for four months. Leadership begins alone with God. And what was true of Nehemiah in chapter 1 didn't change in chapter 2. God opened the door for Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem to begin to do the work of God that he had been praying about. So we might expect after months of thought and months of prayer, when he got to Jerusalem, he would immediately announce his intentions and start finding subcontractors and getting the project underway. But when he arrived, Nehemiah did nothing. For three days, nothing. Nothing that was visible anyway. He said nothing. Verse, verse, both verse 12 and verse 16 make a point of his silence. I had not told anyone, it says in verse 12. I said nothing, in verse 16. He only took this late night tour that we have described here, almost alone, out the western valley gate, past the jackal well and the dung gate, where they took out all the garbage to burn it out in the valley of Hinnon, around the southern part of the city wall, past the fountain gate, where they went to draw water, past the king's pool until his horse couldn't go any farther because of the rubble where the terraced wall had collapsed down the hill. Nehemiah did this almost alone under the cloak of darkness and secrecy 
What was he doing? He was demonstrating for us again that leadership begins alone with God. In verse 12, he explains, I had not told anyone what, is what it literally says, what my God was putting in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah still felt the compulsion of solitude to pray, to think, to assess and inspect and, 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 and analyze the situation, to formulate plans, to anticipate obstacles. He did not let the great need or his own enthusiasm rush him into the situation. He spent time alone with God, which is what great leaders do. Charles Wendell wrote, People have the false idea that a leader lives an exciting life in the limelight, basking in the experience of one ecstatic public applause after another. But God begins this account of Nehemiah by showing us that successful leaders know how to handle themselves in solitude. Leadership begins alone with God. My fellow elders, members of the council of this church, this church will not prosper beyond your and my private walk with the Lord. If we are not alone with him seeking holiness and wisdom and courage and faith and strength, our leadership will be hollow and fruitless. There are no shortcuts. If we would lead where God is going, we must take the time to find out where that is and to walk there ourselves. Ah, but church officers are not the only ones that lead. You husbands and fathers. It's easy to talk about our wives and our children's responsibility to follow our leadership. But what about the quality of that leadership? If you're not living and struggling and seeking wisdom alone in the presence of the Lord, your family will go astray following you. And you moms, no one's life is as harried as yours, especially these days when you're expected to do it all. But I warn you, you cannot manage your home and help your husband and train your children and be useful to those around you unless you too are regularly alone in God's presence, seeking his wisdom, his patience, his love, his understanding, and his strength. You who lead where you work, you bosses, how well you know the adage, it's lonely at the top. You bear the weight of the responsibility, feeling the pressures from all sides. So how will you handle this as a Christian leader, a Christian boss? I call you to first be alone with the Lord, seeking his face. Bow before him. Lay your burdens in his lap. Search out his ways. You see, no matter what level of leadership God has entrusted to you, Leadership begins alone with God. It did with Nehemiah. It does with us. This morning I call you to a godly solitude. 
It's the headwater of effective leadership. Leadership worth following. That's the first truth. Then there's a second truth here. God's plans demand our commitment. God's plans demand our commitment. We talked about leading, let's talk about following. For all of us are followers at some level. I must say that following is not something we're very good at anymore. From childhood, we're told that our ideas are the best and that everything we think is worth hearing. And so as adults, we have little interest in deep commitment to things which were not our idea and which we're not in control of. We believe that meaningful life comes from expressing ourselves and asserting ourselves and seeking the fulfillment of ourselves and setting our own agenda and commanding our own future. But this morning I tell you, there's sometimes when we must be followers. Specifically, when God discloses his plans, we are automatically committed. The very fact that God has spoken demands our commitment, demands that we abandon our plans and follow his. That's what's going on in our text here. God had raised up Nehemiah for the task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This project began in the mind of God and had been months in the making. Before any of the people of Jerusalem ever heard a word of it, God had been working in Nehemiah's heart, been working with the king, been working behind the scenes. But God never intended for Nehemiah to do this job alone. Nehemiah was powerless to do the job himself. He could lead, but someone had to follow. Some people must be workers committed to this task. So here in verse 17 and 18, God calls followers, workmen, to be committed to Nehemiah. Not because he was their old friend, they didn't know him. Not because he was such a charismatic personality. We, we, we don't know that. But because he was God's man with God's plan. Notice Nehemiah's presentation of them. Verse 17 and 18. Nehemiah said, you can see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them, about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah tells him two things here. First in verse 17, he points out the need, which is God's unfinished plan here in Jerusalem. Actually, to say he pointed it out is a little bit uh, soft uh, language. He spoke of being in trouble, of living in ruins, of being a disgrace. Uh, It's a little bit more than pointing it out. This wasn't just some remodeling project that Nehemiah had dreamed up, you see. God had made his will for Jerusalem clearly known for centuries. Isaiah prophesied about it. That was 250 years before Nehemiah. Jeremiah spoke about it. God revealed his plan to Daniel as he read read Jeremiah's prophecy. Then he spoke, God spoke about it again through Haggai and, and, and Zechariah and others. Plus this rebuilding had actually begun in history for almost a hundred years. For Nehemiah's whole life, this project had been ongoing. God intended for his people to rebuild Zion and Nehemiah knew it for certain. Why wasn't it done then? Well, the people had just become accustomed to living with the job half finished. 
It didn't seem to matter anymore. It had become the new status quo. But Nehemiah sets before them the unacceptability of God's plans being left undone. He challenges them with the unfinished, God's unfinished agenda for this city. Brothers and sisters, may I suggest there's still some unfinished things that God has said he wants done? By his grace, he raises up people every once in a while who see what nobody else is looking at anymore. And it makes us uncomfortable. God's word always makes us uncomfortable. But when God reveals his plans, we're committed to follow. Well, then the second thing Nehemiah did is he told them about his call of God's hand upon him, as he puts it. We don't know exactly what he told him. I assume he told him the things recorded in chapter 1. He told them what God had already done. Nehemiah was not some lunatic hearing voices. God had called him to this task. Though Nehemiah was not one of their leaders, mentioned in verse 16, the priests, the nobles, and officials, nevertheless he was God's man. God had chosen him. God had called him. God had brought him here a thousand mile, from a thousand miles away. And there was already evidence of God's work in him. God had begun to open doors to make Nehemiah fruitful in his task. God had turned the heart of a pagan king to enable him to come to do this work. This morning, you see, I'm not saying we just follow uncritically anyone who says, God sent me. All kinds of lunatics say, God sent me. But when God has revealed his will and raises up leaders to do that, vindicating them so that we know that they're sent by God, the people of God are then called to follow as much as the leaders are called to lead. And that's exactly what the people of Jerusalem did. Verse 18, they said, let's start rebuilding. And they got to work. God's plans demand our commitment. It's a very difficult thing for us in our day of individual autonomy. We don't want to follow. We all want to be mavericks, doing our own thing, doing it our way. But this morning I declare to you, God has raised up a king. His king. We read about it in the book of Acts. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him. This man, according to the predetermined plan of God, was handed over by wicked men to Roman soldiers who put him to death, nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was un impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This man, the Son of God Almighty, has, has ascended now into heaven and has been exalted at the right hand of the Father and given rule and authority in heaven and on earth. God has declared his will to expand his kingdom by building Christ's church until the knowledge of God covers the whole earth, until people from every tribe and nation and language and culture on earth have bowed to Christ's rule and confessed him as Lord and received from him forgiveness and eternal life. Now that revelation of Jesus as Lord, that revelation of the good news that was never quite understood before, demands our commitment. 
it demands that we follow this king without reservation. We have nothing, absolutely nothing to do as important as this. God's plans demand our commitment. But even beyond that most basic response of faith, now as we follow King Jesus, God has called some to lead and others to follow their lead. Both are his calling. His work cannot be accomplished without faithfulness on the part of leaders and faithfulness on the part of followers. That's true in this church and in every part of God's work. Leaders cannot build the church, cannot do the ministry. We can be faithful to pray and to plan and to labor and to courageously trust God. But unless God's people are similarly called and similarly committed, leaders will produce nothing. And it's not just true of the church, it's true at home and everywhere else in society where God has revealed his will and raised up leaders to lead. When God reveals his plans and raises up leaders to pursue them, God's plans demand our commitment to follow, whether we like it or not. Now, finally, there's one more truth here, the third thing. God's work may prove unpopular. God's work may prove unpopular. In case you missed it during the election season just past, we are into polls in this country. Daily tracking polls. Did you get enough poll results to last a lifetime? Polls are the new standard of truth, you know. If 93% of the people surveyed agree, it's true. Who's going to question? Except God doesn't care about polls. Throughout the Bible, he repeatedly prepares us for the reality that his work may be unpopular, unpopular. That's what happened here. No sooner had Nehemiah revealed his plan, no sooner had, the, sooner had the people committed to it, than it ran into problems in the polls. What well, was worse than just widespread disapproval, Nehemiah ran into high-level opposition. We read about it in verse 19. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it. And they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they ask. Are you rebelling against the king? These three men were very powerful leaders. Political leaders. They controlled things in that area. And their accusation was a, was a heavy accusation. Rebellion against the king. Those were not just empty words. This whole project had been shut down once because the king was convinced that these people of God were rebellious lot. So you see what they did? They took Nehemiah's calling from God to do God's plan, which was absolutely legal. He had in his hand the papers of authorization from the king. They took that call to ministry and they labeled it as political sedition. And folks, that still happens. To do the work of God, we have to take unpopular 
positions which sometimes get labeled political views, which may sometimes even be opposed at high levels of government. So what do we do? Do we cower and run? Do we become antagonistic, be obnoxious for Jesus? No, we simply need to understand God's work often proves unpopular. So look at Nehemiah's response in verse 20. He said, guys, you need to understand God's the active agent here. He will give us success. He went on to say, so we will serve the Lord no matter what. This isn't arrogance. This is just resolve. God sent us. We're going to do it. Furthermore, he said, you are not part of this. You have no claim in this. Now, actually, they probably did claim to worship the Lord. Tobiah's name actually meant Yahweh is good. But Nehemiah understood that their concern was not the plan of God at all. Their concern was to stop the plan of God. And he would not let them stop him nor join him. I tell you this just to prepare you for the fact that God's work often proves unpopular. None of us like to be unpopular, I don't think. We want to be inclusive and accommodating and tolerant. That's good, up to a point. God has great compassion, receives all who come to him. The poor, the broken, the outcast, the hurting. Why is Chapel's known for that? We pride ourselves in accepting anyone. I commend you for such unconditional love. But folks, our fellowship here is still a matter of submission to God's revealed will. So even as we love people unconditionally, we stand firm on what God said. Be prepared. No matter how loving you might be, sometimes God's work will be unpopular. And you'll be called a bigot or intolerant or hateful. That's how it is. Today the Jerusalem God is building is no longer a city over in the Mideast. Today God is building a new Jerusalem. The Church of Jesus Christ. Filled with disciples from all nations and peoples on earth. For this Jesus came and died on the cross. That the good news of forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed to broken, helpless, hurting people everywhere. For this he rose from the dead, that his people might serve the Lord in newness of life. For this he gave us his Holy Spirit, that we might be changed and gifted and empowered, that we might do his work in the world. So now I challenge you. Either lead or follow or get out of the way. If God calls you to lead, whether or not you wanted to be a leader, you must. That means time alone with God. There are no shortcuts. And when God raises up leaders, you have an obligation to follow, whether it was your idea or not. God's work 
God's plans demand our commitment. But if we're not called to lead, and if we refuse to follow, then get out of the way, because God's work will advance. It will prevail no matter what, even when it seems hopelessly impossible. Jesus himself said so. I will build my church, and even the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Amen. Let's pray. Well, thank you, Lord, for the examples you give us in your word, what you call us to be. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would apply your truth to us where we're in all different situations, leading in different ways, following in different ways, running into different kinds of opposition. But Lord, help us to see what it means to be faithful to you in the midst of it all. We pray especially for our church that here you would give us godly leaders called by you and equipped by you. That you would give us a heart to follow their lead. Lord, that you would protect us from the trouble that so often surrounds your work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.